Okay, now I know that amen is the Greek word for sit down, and it's okay for us to sit down, but on day one, I think we just need to celebrate a little bit. Wasn't that powerful just now? Can we just praise God for a moment and just celebrate Him for a minute? We can do that. I think that would be great. Fantastic. Good job, y'all. Very, very good. <laughs> what a great way to begin a new year. That's great. You can have a seat for just a second. Thanks so much for being here. And like I said a minute ago, welcome to day one. It's day one of the year 2017. And so I know that just over the past week, we've been, it just seems like the whole world has taken a moment to just kind of pause and look back on 2016. And today is a great day for us to look ahead at what's going to be in 2017. Today, think about that with me for a minute, is day one. January 1st, 2017. At the end of last year, I'd be willing to bet that you ended your year by either saying, I wish I had, or I'm glad I did. One way or another, you either ended 2016 by saying, I wish I had, or I'm glad I did. And I'll be willing to make you a bet right now. If I were a betting Baptist, yea, verily, I would prophesy. At the end of 2017, you're going to get to the end of 2017, and you're going to say, man, I wish I had, or you're going to say, boy, I'm glad I did. Man, I wish I had, or boy, I'm glad I did. And so today, we're going to take a look at God's Word, and we're going to see some things that God has to say from day one in your life. Things, practices that you can put in place that, that are powerful practices. If you can put these practices into place, I can guarantee you that you'll end 2017 saying, I'm really glad I did. I'm so glad I did. If you can do this from day one, the, there's three practices we're going to talk about today. They're powerful practices and I hope that you'll put them into place. Actually, one of the practices that we may talk about a little bit, maybe not a lot, is what you've started your year with right now. So let me just say, good job for showing up today to worship. What an incredible way to begin with from day one. What an incredible way to begin your year, but in the worship of your heavenly Father with other like-minded believers, with other people who, who see God and understand God and feel from God the things that, that you feel. And maybe you're with us today, and maybe today, day one for you is, okay, I made this resolution. I'm going to start coming back to church. I don't know if I buy into all of this organized religion business, and I don't know what I think about the Bible, and I don't know what I think about Jesus. Well, let me say to you, good job for being here today. If you're going to get answers to questions that you've looked for all your life about who God is and what this thing we call the church, this movement we call the church, if you're going to find out what that's all about, this is a great place to do it because you're surrounded by people who love you and care for you. They love this community. They love who Jesus is. They love what his word has to say. And so let me just say, ask your questions. There's not a bad question you can ask. There's not a wrong question to be asking. I can tell you with certainty that God's not afraid of your questions. I can tell you with certainty that there's a bunch of people here who love to talk about the questions that you have. And so I'm glad you're here. And if you're watching online today, I'm grateful that you're watching online because what a great way to begin the year with worship and this idea that I can explore questions to answers that make a difference in my life, that make such a difference. Like I said, they're powerful questions. If you find the right answers to these questions, you'll end 2017 not saying, man, I wish I had. You'll end 2017 saying, God, I'm glad I did. God, I'm glad I did. So welcome to day one. We're really glad that you're here today, and we're really glad that you're a part of this. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10 is where we're going to be today, and we're going to read one verse out of Proverbs chapter 10 here in just a minute. But before we do that, uh, I just need to ask you some questions. And one of the questions is, do you, remember what your, do you remember any special day ones in your life? I'm not necessarily talking about 
January 1st, but day one for you. Um, this week is the week that Keith and I, Keith Davis is our missions pastor, this is the week that we celebrate in this church our 15th anniversary. You guys have put up with the two of us for 15 years. Good job for that too. Thanks for putting up with us for so long. Don't clap for that. You don't need to clap for that. <clears throat> But I remember my day one here. On my day one, Paige Cole was our executive pastor. And I came in, and you know, this is 15 years ago. And so 15 years ago, I got up in the morning, and I wanted to make a good impression. So I put on my khaki pleated pants, because that's what you wore 15 years ago, was your khaki pleated pants and my polo shirt. And I put that on, and I got ready. And I was all excited, because my new title was Minister of Christian Arts. Yeah, I don't know what that means either, <laughs> but um, that was my new title, so I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by making lots of plans and figuring out what it means to be a minister of Christian arts, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going I'm to put some things on the calendar and get some meetings scheduled. I'm just so excited, and Paige Cole's our executive pastor, and I walk in, and it, we're actually not in this campus. This building was still under construction at that time. We're on the 86th Street campus, which is El Tequila Baptist Church now. It's where the Mexican restaurant is. So I went to El Tequila Baptist Church for my day one here, and I remember going and thinking, I'm so excited because I have all these plans and all these things to do, and uh, Paige says, hey, I'm so excited you're here too. Let me show you to your new office. Great, I get an office. This is good. And he walks up to this door, and he opens it, but the way he opens it is he puts his shoulder against it, and he pushes. And he's pushing because he's pushing all the stuff out of the way of the door that's behind the door because essentially my new office is what has been used as a storage closet for the past year and a half, I think. And so everything you could possibly imagine is inside this room. He says, you can have this as your office as soon as you get it cleaned out. <laughs> Thanks, Paige. It's good to be here. I appreciate that. My day one here, actually my week one here, I didn't spend making plans and I didn't spend thinking about the deep realities of how do you worship God. I spent cleaning out a storage closet so that I could have a space to work. So that was my day one here. What was your day one like in your job? What was the very first day of your day one like in your job? I bet you've had a, a day like that similar at some point. And then I remember um, I grew up in Moore, Oklahoma. And in Moore, the way the school systems work, first through sixth grade are all in the elementary schools. And so I went to elementary school at Fairview Elementary from first through sixth grade. And then in seventh grade, that's when you enter into junior high. And so I was really excited about going to junior high. I went to Brink Junior High is where I went to junior high. And so I remember my day one at Brink Junior High because I'm entering seventh grade. And you know, the cool part of go, about leaving elementary school and going into junior high is that now you're a teenager, and you can kind of start making some life decisions that's your own. Are you going to be a freak or a geek? Are you going to be a jock? Are you going to be a, a musician in the, in the band? Are you, going to, are you going to be a motorhead and be the car guy? What, what kind of a person are you going to be? So you have this opportunity to kind of create your brand new identity all fresh when you go to junior high, your seventh grade year. At least that's what the way it was when I was in Moore. And so I thought, I really want to make a good impression. And I remember the, the morning of getting up and thinking, I've... I, I've got this shirt that I've just got to wear because everyone will look at me and think he's definitely in the cool group. He, this guy, he oozes. He oozes cool. I mean, look at the shirt that he's wearing. He must ooze cool. And so I pulled out of my closet a shirt that I had. It was a black shirt with short sleeves, and it had zippers all over it. Because Michael Jackson was really popular back then in the early 80s, and he was super popular. So it wasn't the red one that was kind of skin tight, but it had zippers all over it. My mom wouldn't let me wear parachute pants. 
I felt left out because of that, but that was a really big deal back then. So this was my alternative to parachute pants, and I put that shirt on. I remember looking in the mirror thinking, you ooze cool. You are the stuff. And I remember walking down the halls of Brink Junior High my first day, day one of my seventh grade year, thinking to myself, looking at everybody else and what they're wearing, thinking, you are an idiot. (laughs) What... What were you thinking? All I needed was the one glove that Michael Jackson had, and I, would have, I still would have been dumber than I ever would have been. It was just horrible. How, what, a, what, a, what a silly impression I must have made that first day. Do you remember? Do you remember your first day of junior high? <laughs> Some of you uh, nudged someone when, you, when I said that. You must have known each other in junior high. Day one seems to matter, doesn't it? We want to make a good impression. We want... We want, to, we want to make a good impression. We want to be able to get something accomplished. We want to be able to make a statement. We want to be able to look back someday on our day one. And we want to say, man, I'm, I'm really glad I did that. Or not. See, all of us have had a day one like that. Turn, you're already in Proverbs chapter 10. Stand with me, and we're just going to read one verse together. Stand with me. We're going to read Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. And what I said a minute ago is absolutely true. The principles we're going to talk about today are very powerful principles. And if from day one you can answer these three questions, if you can answer these three questions the right way, you'll see the, pro- the promise of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27. You'll see this promise come to life, and you'll get to the end of 2017. And instead of saying, man, I wish I did, You'll be saying, or excuse me, when I, man, I wish I had. You'll say, boy, I'm, I'm glad I did. You see how that works? So Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, we're just going to read one verse, and it says this. It says, the fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated today. The year of the Lord prolongs, but the years of the will be shortened. Now, I'll tell you what that verse is not saying. It's not saying that if you trust God that you're going to live, live this long, healthy, happy life. That's not what it's saying. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. It actually means that the quality of your life will be different. The, quali- the quantity of your life may not be different. I, there are people who have been martyred for their faith. They died young. The quantity of their life was not long, but the quality of their life was unbelievable. And so that's the first thing this this verse is telling us, that the fear of the Lord prolongs days. Well, how does it do that? Well, it actually allows you to put more life into your days. All of us have the same 24-hour time frame that each of us has. We all have the same number of minutes in a day, the same number of seconds in a day, but not all of us use those seconds and use those minutes the same way. Some of you, at the end of this year, it will be like your year has been prolonged, not because you got more days than I got, but because you were simply more productive with those days than I was. Some of you, your days will be, well, seem like your year was just really, really short because you just didn't do or didn't accomplish or didn't receive or didn't experience what you had hoped to experience in this year. And, and the, the starting point is this idea that the fear of the Lord is what brings you not necessarily quantity of life. Quantity of life with the fear of the Lord does come in eternity, in the everlasting, in the hereafter, in heaven, after we pass away. That's when the quantity of life comes. But right now, today, 
you can begin experiencing this incredible quality of life that's very different than what someone who doesn't follow and doesn't trust God experiences. That's what the second part of that verse means. But the years of the wicked will be shortened. Now, you and I, we all have known those people who have been just exceedingly wicked, and it just seems like they, they live forever. They just, how long is this person going to be alive? How long is this person going to get to be successful in that position? How long will they get to lead the company or lead the country or lead the whatever? You can fill in the blank with whoever that you think of as this wick, wicked person. And sometimes it just seems like they, they get something that righteous people don't. But I can tell you that this verse is true. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. Those who trust in God have a greater and a better quality of life, a quality of living. They they live in such a way that their life is different than those who are wicked. The wicked, their years are shortened. It's almost like they look back and they wonder, "What, what what did I accomplish? I didn't accomplish anything. It's because evil turns in on itself and it eats itself. And so what happens inside the heart of a wicked person is, Nothing that lasts, it's something that's selfish and something that never continues. And so our goal ought to become to be those people who fear the Lord, those people who honor God with the way that we live our lives, with the choices that we make, with the attitudes that we have, with the words that we use, with the plans that we make, and with the heart that we have as we approach one another. And so here are the three questions that we're going to answer today, and we put this inside the bulletin for everyone to have, and instead of giving it to you in the form of a card that you fill in the blanks on, we wanted to give it to you in the form of a card that you could keep with you. Maybe you can keep this inside the front of your Bible, or if you use a Bible cover, you can put it inside your Bible cover. I know I read the Bible so often on my phone these days that I don't really have a large Bible that I carry with me all the time because I carry it in my phone, and so maybe for me, this goes on the mirror in my bathroom, or maybe this goes someplace where I would see it on the refrigerator door is where I would see it quite often. I would see it right there quite often where you can take a look at these three questions. But these are the three questions that we want to answer today. These are the three questions we want to answer. And I'll tell you, if you can answer these questions on a daily basis, if you can take time to consider your answers to these three questions on a daily basis, you'll get to the end of 2017 and you'll realize the fear of the Lord really does prolong days. You will become a living example of Proverbs chapter 10 verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs days. Why? Because I answered these three questions wisely. I chose to answer these questions in a way that honors God. I chose to answer these questions in a way that adds life to my life. And so you can see what the three questions are right there. How? Uh, let's see. The first question is, what temptation will I overcome? This year, 2017, by the end of 2017, what temptation will I overcome? The second question, what seed will I sow? What temptation will I overcome, and what seed will I sow? And then the last question actually is something that we talk about quite a bit here in this congregation, in this community. How will I use who I am and what I have for the benefit of others? How you answer these three questions today determines your destination tomorrow. How you answered these three questions through all of 2016 has determined your destination today. Did you catch that? That's important. How you answer these three questions today will determine your destination tomorrow and each day after that. What temptation will I overcome? What seed will I sow? 
How will I use who I am and what I have for the benefit of, of others? How you answer these questions determines at the end of 2017 whether or not you'll be saying, man, I wish I had, or God, I'm glad I did. Let's talk about that first one. What temptation will I overcome? Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Now, I don't know what temptation you struggle with the most, but all of us struggle with different kinds of temptation. All of us do. And, and every temptation that you face, the Bible actually can take those temptations and put them into a category, kind of three big areas of temptation. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, there were kind of three big areas that, that Satan used to tempt Christ. And so for some of us, the temptation is something like food or something like sex or something like uh, popularity or power or money or finances. For some of us, that, that, that temptation is, is less. Sometimes some of us don't struggle with things like food. Some of us don't struggle with, with lust or things like that. But, but some of us, maybe our struggles are less about that and they're, they're more about that pride of life idea that I'm worried about the way people think about me. I'm worried about my image and my popularity. I'm worried about my influence. And I've just got this, I've got this desire. I'm just so arrogant. I've, I mean, you know, I, I thought I was wrong once, but I found out I was mistaken. You know, that kind of person. I thought I was conceited till I found out I was perfect. You know, maybe, maybe that's the kind of person you are that you've got that. Maybe that's the struggle, that arrogance, that hubris that's, that's in you. Or maybe it's not about the things you need or the, the your life. Maybe it's about the things that you want. And you just, you're just so in debt, not because you're spending on the things that you need, but you're spending on wants. And you just want this, and I want what I want when I want it, and I want what I want right now. And so maybe it makes you mean. And so you demand things of your employees, or you demand things of your you just you get nasty with them or you gossip about them behind their back because you're not getting what you want, you know, the respect I deserve or the things, the, the reputation that I ought to have. Or maybe you're not getting the, the promotion you think you ought to get. Somebody else got that instead. And so now you're just mean and nasty about it. You're mean and nasty to them because you didn't get what you want. See, every one of us struggles in different ways with different temptations. The thing that trips you up the most in all likelihood is not the thing that trips me up the most, but that doesn't make me any better than you. It just means my temptation's different. It just means the thing I struggle with is different than you. And so that's actually the reason why the Bible says, not lest ye be judged. It says, because by the same you judge, that's how you'll be judged. So it's not actually telling us in Matthew not to judge. It's just telling us to realize that when you judge, you're going to be judged using the same measuring stick that you just used on someone else. And what 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 tells us is it shows us those three broad categories of sin. So this year, what temptation will you overcome? Actually, let's begin in verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And verse 16 is where you see these three broad categories of sin. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So here are these three broad categories of sin. The first one you see in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh is really easy to identify because the easiest way to talk about the lust of the flesh is it's our needs out of control. You know, God designed you with specific needs. He designed you with the need to eat. But then he said, 
Gluttony is a sin. He designed us with a need for intimacy, a need for physical intimacy with others. He designed us with a need for that. Procreation doesn't happen without it. And then he says, sexuality, your sexuality is blessed. It's beautiful. I could actually argue that that act can be an act of worship inside the context that God set it in, inside the context of a loving marriage between a husband and wife. So God says, here's this need. I've given you this need for, for physical intimacy. I've given you this need for food. And, and inside this context of marriage, a loving marriage between a husband and wife, sexuality is beautiful and it's blessed. And outside that context, it's something else. Outside that context, it's, it's not blessed. It's something else. And so often, what we want to do is we want to meet a God-given need in a God-forsaken way. You see, the lust of the flesh is very simply our needs out of control. God gave us a need to work. He gave us a need to work. But then he said, some of you overwork to be rich, and some of you are just so lazy, you're never going to get ahead. You see how that works? He's given us needs, but sometimes our needs get out of control. The lust of the flesh is our needs out of control. And with physical intimacy, with food, with work, with all of these, it's so easy for us to try to meet those God-given needs in a God-forsaken way. The next one is also easy to see. So here's the other category, the next category. The lust of the flesh in verse 16. The next one is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes, that's our wants out of control. The lust of the flesh is our needs out of control. The lust of the eyes is our wants out of control. It's covetousness. It's wanting something that's not rightfully yours. Sometimes the beginning of adultery isn't the lust of the flesh. Sometimes the beginning of adultery is the lust of the eyes. You want something. You want someone that's not yours to begin with. She is someone else's daughter. He is someone else's husband. He is designed to be married. He's single today, but he's designed to be married to someone who's not you. So don't take what's not yours. That's the lust of the eyes, to want what's not yours. It's our wants out of control. I said it already. Some of us are in massive debt because we just want to have the greatest and the latest of all newest technology and all the newest cars and all the biggest houses. My dad used to joke. He used to say over and over again, you know, I really don't manage money, but I manage debt really well. <laughs> and he does. He manages debt really well. And uh, in the course of my life, I, my, my parents have done a great job of both raising me and my brother and providing for me and my brother, but I've seen the pressure and the intensity that comes from instead of managing finances, managing debt in our lives. We bought the big house because we wanted the big house, but now we can't afford the things we need because of what we want. Our wants sometimes are out of control. That's the second category of sin. There's a third category of sin. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the world, but is of the Father. The pride of life is our self out of control. It's our self out of control. It's thinking so much of yourself that you don't have room to think about or think for, think, think, think about the needs of anyone else. It's driving through a neighborhood filled with homes that are bigger than yours 
and thinking, I'll never be good enough, I'll never be big enough, I'll never make enough to, to be able to live in a house like that. Or the exact opposite. Driving through a neighborhood where all the houses are smaller than yours and not as well cared for as yours and, and not in great shape and the people there financially aren't in the same socioeconomic status and it's, and it's you looking down your nose at them and going, <laughs> see how much smarter than I am I am than they are? See how much better off I am than they are? See how much closer I must be to God because my life seems to be together and their life seems to be falling apart. You see, that's not, that's not God. That's our self out of control. So this year, last year, in the day to come, this is day one, you have an opportunity to recognize the temptation that trips you up the most. Which one is it? Your needs, are your needs out of control? Are your wants out of control? Or is it your self out of control? Can you recognize... Can you recognize the triggers that walk you and lead you into temptation and cause you to step and stumble into sin? Do you recognize those temptations? If I wanted to be silly about it, if I wanted to be simple about it, I could say the refrigerator is a problem for me. So maybe I should, that's a trigger that leads me into temptation to overeat. So maybe I should just avoid the kitchen. <laughs> maybe I should just not go where the chocolate is. Maybe I shouldn't do that. If if it has to do with physical intimacy and sexual sin, well, maybe the trigger is what you see or what you hear. And so maybe you need to put the phone down. Or maybe you need to turn the computer off. Or maybe you need to not watch that particular show. Not because one show is good or bad or one kind of fiction is wicked and another kind of fiction is not, but because that's the trigger in my life that causes me to stumble. And so I'm just, I'm just not going to go there. Maybe that clearance sale at your favorite store is the place you ought to avoid right after Christmas. Not because the clearance is bad, not because saving money is a bad idea. It's always a good idea, but I've already spent it twice, and I can't afford to spend it a third time. So maybe I should just not go to the store. Proverbs chapter 4 gives us a pattern. It says, do not enter the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil. Do not travel on it. Turn away and pass on. Sometimes the best way for you to overcome temptation, first, is to identify what tempts you in the first place, and second, recognize that tricker and now avoid it. The Bible tells us that God's not, well, in, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, He tells us that He's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able, but with each temptation, He will make a way of escape. He will make a way out. So in 2017, what temptation will you overcome? Do you struggle the most with the lust of the flesh, needs out of control, lust of the eyes, wants out of control, the pride of life, yourself out of control? And what are the triggers that lead you down that path that cause you to know for certain, I can't get, I can't get back from this. This is this point of no return. I can step over the edge of this, but if I do, I'm going to fall off the edge of this stage. You know what those triggers are. And from day one, day one, you can begin programming your life to be different. It's a practice that you can put into your life. Here's the second question. What seed will you sow? What seed will you sow? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. What seed will you sow? I told you a minute ago when we were taking a look at some things. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be in just a minute. But I said that your destination tomorrow is determined by, your, by the decision that you make today. That's the seed that you sow. The seed that you sow today 
becomes the character of who you are tomorrow. The seed that you sowed in the middle of 2016 becomes the consequences that you're reaping right now. And those consequences are either fantastic (laughs) or they're something completely different. Some of you, at the end of 2016, have a stronger marriage than you've ever had before. And some of you don't. And it's because sometime in 2016 of the seed that you sowed. Now, that's never a decision when it comes to marriage that's a unilateral decision. It takes two to make a marriage work. That's actually the challenging part of a healthy marriage. The challenging part of a healthy marriage is it it takes two people to make it work, but it only takes one of you to harden your heart to really mess things up. So as a married couple, from day one, could you make this decision? From day one, tomorrow morning, today, the next day, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to make it my purpose to figure out how today can I win the heart of my spouse? How can I do that? How today can I win the heart of my spouse? Can both of you make that commitment together? How today can I win the heart of my spouse? Because the decision you make today becomes the destination that you end up in tomorrow. The seed that you sow today becomes the consequences that you reap tomorrow. And it's the parable of the sower. It's the, it's the truth of the, of the farmer that you reap what you sow more than you sow, later than you sow. You reap what you sow, more than you sow, later than you sow. And then you have this incredible truth in God's Word. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. If we're talking about growing something in our life, in the next few weeks we're going to begin a series called Rooted. And when your roots go down deep, your fruit can grow healthy and it can grow strong. And look at the fruit that can be grown in your life in the year 2017 from day one. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. What a beautiful thought that these things, I can sow this seed all day long. I can eat this fruit all day long. I can serve this fruit to others all day long and never break the law. What? I can give love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I can grow it. I can plant it. I can water it. I can give it. I can feast on it. And against such, there is no law. God says you can be filled to the full with the fruit of the Spirit, and you can fill everyone else up with it. You know what it really means? It means for a believer, for someone who's trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for someone who's following in his footsteps, you don't have to live by the world's rules anymore. That's what that means. What seed will you sow? From day one, are you going to determine that from day one, what I intend to plant in the garden of my family with my children is patience? We will be a family that is patient with one another. In my family, I'm going to plant the seed of self-control. We're going to learn to take responsibility for ourselves and our own actions. Within my family, I'm going to plant the seed of joy. We're going to be a family that laughs together. We're going to be a family that plays together. We're going to be a family that teases one another and and has a great time just being together and can't wait for those unhurried moments when we're just in the same house where we can do something fun together. Why? Because from day one, 
I've been planting, and my wife's been planting, and my kids have been learning to plant seeds of joy into our family. With your marriage, could you wake up tomorrow and think, how can I win the heart of my, my, my spouse? And how would that make the end of your 2017 different than the beginning? With your finances, this is the year I'm going to spend less and I'm going to save more. What's your plan for that? How can I sow a seed that says I'm going to get out of debt or stay out of debt? How can you sow a seed that says I'm going to be more generous in 2017 than I've ever been? I am going to have this plan that allows me to take a percentage of my income and in a disciplined way, I'm going to pick how I'm going to take this percentage of my income and just give it away. I'm just going to take this percent. Maybe you give it to the church. That's great. There's lots of great things to give to here, like the mission. We're, we, we need to finish the mission in this year because the finishing of a building is the beginning of an expanded work of ministry that we need to do in our community and around the world through the mission. And so if you, want, if you wanted to take a percentage of your income in a disciplined way, give that to the church, great. There's great things going on inside the life of the church, but there's so many things beyond the church that you can give to. If you take a percentage of your income and you set it aside and say, this, per this is the percentage I'm just going to give away. And then you looked for needs around you, maybe needs within your family or needs in the workplace or needs with your friends or coworkers or where, wherever. God, it's amazing what happens to our eyes of generosity when we've got a fund for generosity already set aside. So in a disciplined way, will you pick a percentage of your income and say, I'm just going to set this aside, and my goal, God, is to just give it away and to just bless people and to see how generous I can be in 2017 to the people around me and in our community. I'm not just going to save more and spend more. I'm going to give more. And I'm not telling you that because the church needs your money. God pays for what he orders. I'm just telling you that because God said in his word, again, that the temptation of the, the flesh and the wants and the self out of control, God has this plan for our finances. If sex is blessed inside the context of marriage and it's something else outside the context of marriage, God's given us some guidelines for how we manage our finances. And in the context of saving, giving, and spending the rest, in that context of generosity, God, the Bible says, is able to make it so that it's like it's, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He's able to do more with your less than you're able to do on your own by yourself. So let's cultivate that heart of generosity. Let's be disciplined about it and pull aside, let's set aside in our own finances a percentage of our income that we just have this intention to just give away. I'm just going to give it away. I'm going to release it completely into the hands of someone else and say, there's a need you have here. I can help you meet it. What seed will you sow? in your family? What seed will you sow in your finances? What seed will you sow with your marriage? What seed will you sow, what seed will you sow in relationship to your own spiritual development? Great job on starting the year by attending worship. What an incredible way to point our hearts and our minds toward our Heavenly Father and to just honor the fact that God, you're God and, and I'm not. And you're big and I'm small and you're smart and I'm something else. You're holy and I'm not. What an incredible way to recalibrate the compass of your heart to start the year day one with worship, hearing from God's word and just asking myself the question, God, how can I take one more step with you today? How can I take one more step? How can I follow you more closely today? Good job to each of you who are watching online 
and who are here today. But let me ask a question as we think about that. This year is an odd year because when Sunday falls on a January 1st, sometimes, well, Sunday also falls at the end of the year. So this year we don't have 52 weeks of Sundays, and this year we have 53 weeks of Sundays in 2007. There's 53 weeks here. So out of the 53 weeks that we come together as a congregation to worship, out of these 53 weeks, how many times is it acceptable for you to just be gone, for you to just not be here? And, and you know, is, it, is, is the number five? Because, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on vacation. I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm going to go on vacation at some point. And at some point, I'm, I'm probably going to be sick. I may not be sick on a Sunday, but maybe. There's got to be. So there's got to be an acceptable number for missing our worship times together. I'm not saying we ought to be here every time the doors are open, but what is the acceptable number? I am going to take a vacation. At some point, I'm probably going to be sick. So there's, there's got to be a number out there. Is the number that's acceptable... Is it five? Well, if there's 53 weeks in the year, that's about 10% of the year. So about 10% of the time, I think I'll just not be in worship with other believers. Or is the number 10? 10 weeks. 10 weeks out of the year, that doesn't sound like much. It's a little over two months. You know, a little over two months, 10 weeks. That's 20% of my year. That's good. My kids play ball, and so sometimes they're going to have a tournament on the weekend. And I can worship God on the ball field, and I can share the gospel on the ball field, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But what's the number? What if from day one, you and your family got together and you picked the number? What if you got together? I'm not telling you what number to pick. I'm not telling you to be here every time the door is open. Because at some point we're going to go on vacation. At some point we're going to be sick. I understand that. But do you understand that what happens in this room on a Sunday morning isn't just another meeting? I can be honest. I I don't need another meeting. (laughs) I meet with people all the time. And if all this is is another meeting, I should sleep in. Because I don't need another one. But it's more than that. This is me and you together, partnering together in ministry and having this opportunity to worship our Heavenly Father. And there's such encouragement that comes when we worship together. There's such, can I tell you that you guys make me better? I'm better this year than I was last year because I spent a year in this room with you all. (laughs) I'm a better man because of it. I'm a better husband because of it. I'm a better follower of Christ because of it. Just a few minutes ago, Joe was standing up here leading worship. It was a beautiful thing. I love it. And I'm sitting right over here, and I had to stop singing for a minute because I could hear you singing. What a powerful thing it was to experience the people of God singing the praises of God. What happens in this room on a Sunday morning isn't just another song, and it's not just another sermon. And it's not just another service. It's the people of God coming together to become more than we could ever be on our own by ourselves as individuals. It's the place where I come and I have an opportunity to pour myself out into someone else to give encouragement to you and to someone else. But it's also the place that you can come to pour yourself out and to encourage others. And I, I just have to be honest, my family is better because I got to worship with you last year. My family is better because some of you served as a Sunday school teacher in my son's class. 
And some of you served in the preschool ministry in, in my son's class. And some of you are out in the student ministry and you're teaching my older son and my older daughter what it means to be a follower of Christ. And my family's better for it because there's some things I've told my kids that they still don't hear when I say it. But somehow when Joe says it or when Brennan says it or when their Sunday school says it, all of a sudden it's the gospel and they've just got to do it that way. It's the coolest thing ever. Because, you know, I'm the dad who wore the zipper shirts on seventh grade. And so, no, I'm not cool. I can't possibly be. Something happens when we're together. And can I be honest when I say, we miss you. I miss that when you're not here. So how many, how many weeks is it this year? From day one, what if you and your family sat down and said, this is an acceptable number of weeks. I know I'm going to be gone for these tournaments. I know we're going to be gone for these vacations. I know we're going to have some time for sickness. i got a plan for that. How many, how many weeks is it acceptable? Because, you know, you, you reap what you sow more than you sow, later than you sow. And this time next year, you could be steps closer to God than you've ever been. You could have relationships and friendships that have been deeper, been made deeper and stronger than you've ever had before, and it can all happen because of the time you've spent together in worship and through the life of this body of believers we call the church. Not this building, but this body of believers we call the church. And that's the last question I want to ask. How will you use who you are and what you have for the benefit of others. You can make these decisions right now. What temptation will I overcome? Do I struggle the most with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of the life? What are the triggers that are in my life? How can I remove those triggers from my life so I don't stumble into those temptations? What seed, what seed will I sow? Will I sow the fruit of the Spirit to reap the fruit of the Spirit into my life and into my family and into my workplace and into this community that I call my church home? What seed will I sow and what benefits will I reap as a result of that? And this last question, how will I use who I am and what I have for the benefit of others? Y'all, I'm proud of you <laughs> as a church. You all as a church are so incredibly generous. I can't go anywhere in our community. I can't go to a chamber luncheon or to a city council meeting. I can't show up at Chick-fil-A or any business in Owasso without finding the people of this church, the people of this community, not just they're working, but they're serving. They're making that work environment better. I can't, our, our student pastors and, and I, we, we can't step onto a campus here in the Owasso area without finding a student or a teacher or a faculty member that's not, they're just making that environment better. And you know why? It's because there's a whole bunch of people in this place who have already asked and answered this question. How can I use who I am and what I have for the benefit of others? This year, we, we talked about the mission briefly, just a second, but what an incredible ministry that is in the hearts of the people of our church, not in the hearts of a staff or an organization, but in the heart of the people of our church, an individual rose up and said, you know what, we need to be meeting the needs of people who can't meet their own needs. We need to partner people who have things with people who need things. And out of that vision grew a passion inside the heart and the life of this church to do that very thing, and, and the mission began. 
And then a few years ago, we decided the mission needs a new home. It's in a, about a 1,300 square foot building. It needs more space so that it can be bigger and better than, and meet more needs, essentially, than it's ever met before. So we, we decided to purchase land, and we did that debt-free, and we've decided to give towards it. We've raised nearly a million dollars. We're at like $920,000, $930,000 that we've raised to build this building that's going to be about $1.6 million when it's said and done. And when it's said and done, when the building is finished, the work has just begun we're doing work today, but the work will expand and it will meet needs. We will meet more needs in more places and in more ways than we ever have before once that building is finished and that ministry has room to expand. And we're almost there. You all as a church have been so generous and you're fantastic at it. Not just with the way you give financially, but with the way you give your time and your talents. There was a phenomenal group of people who gave their entire Christmas Eve to lead worship here for four Christmas Eve services. Before that time, there was another group of people who were here for weeks setting up all of these decorations and changing the stage and making the whole, the whole building look like a winter wonderland. After this service today and into the weeks to come, this, change, this, this set is going to change again sometime this week so that it's going to be something completely different that's not Christmas. It's going to be something completely different. There are volunteers all over our church who work to make that happen. There are people who work outside the church, who volunteer in other organizations. They volunteer in places, in schools and in sports teams. They volunteer all over the community, and they're spreading this seed of the gospel everywhere they go. Thanks for doing that. But some of you haven't jumped on board yet, and you need to. You know why? Because the fear of the Lord prolongs days but the years of the wicked will be shortened. You want to make the most of 2017? You want to get to the end of it and be able to say, God, I'm so glad I did. Overcome the temptation that's in your life. Sow the right seed into your family, into your community, and figure out that way that you're going to use who you are and what you have for the benefit of others. One last verse I want to share with you. It's Philippians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. Philippians chapter 2 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is verse 12 and 13. It says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, that verse, work out your own salvation, doesn't mean that you're working for God in order to be pleasing, in order to be right with God. You're not working to, to be saved. You're not trying to do enough good that God will finally call you accepted in his sight. What that verse really means is because you are saved, because you've been given this title of believer, because you've been given this title as son or daughter of God, because of the forgiveness that you've received, now it's time for you to work out what that means. What does it mean for you to do that? My first day here, I was given the title of Minister of Christian Arts. This church gave me that title. And from day one, it became my task to define and to figure out what does that mean? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And it goes on to say, because it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. What is it that is God that, that God is trying to work out in you to will and to do for his good pleasure in this year? For some of us who are believers, it's those three questions. What temptation will we overcome? What seed will we sow? And how will we use who we are and what we have for the benefit of others? But for some of us in the room today and for some of us who are watching online, the first step isn't about any temptation that you can overcome by yourself 
or any seed that you have on your own built in you or anything that you have that's so good to share with someone else because there's a starting point for all of this. Today could be your day one of faith where you look to your heavenly Father and you hear Him say, you're a sinner and you can't save yourself. You're broken and you can't fix yourself. When God looks you in the eyes and says, I love you with an everlasting love, but I know how greatly sin has hurt you and broken you and it's broken my relationship with you, but, but I love you so much that I, I mean, do you really think that I care for you so little that your betrayal of me would make a difference? Really? God looks to you and he says, I love you and sin hurts you and I've made this way for you to be forgiven and for our relationship to be made right. And it's through my son Jesus who took all of the punishment for your sin into his life. And if you just trust, if you'll just rest, if you'll just rely on that forgiveness that Jesus has made for you, that won't be the end of your faith. That will be day one. That will be the beginning of this incredible adventure that God has for us together as He works in you to will and to do for His good pleasure. And so today, this could be your day one of faith. I'd like to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you need to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, all you really have to do is ask. You just say, and you talk to God through prayer. You just say, God, I, I know that I'm, I need your forgiveness. I know that I've sinned. I know there's no way I can save myself. And I know I want my 2017 to be a, a year that I walk with you instead of a year that I walk away with you. All you really have to do is be honest with God and express to him those ideas. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, Father, and save me forever. And so if that's you, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just ask God to forgive you of your sin and come into your heart and save you. If you don't really understand what that means or if, you need, if you've got more questions about that and you want to talk to someone, in just a moment we're all going to stand together and Joe's going to sing and you can sing with him if you want to, but there will also be men down front and I'll be down front and you can come say, I've got questions about that. I'd like to know more. Or you could just come take the hand of one of these guys and say, I know exactly, I know exactly what I need to do. I need to ask Jesus for forgiveness and, and I just want to tell people about that. So when we stand in just a moment after we pray and say amen, come forward, take the hand of one of these men and do that. That's for those of you who need today to be your day one of faith. But for those of you who are already people of faith, you've been walking with God already. Maybe as we discussed those three questions, you know the answer now. What temptation will I overcome? I know, I know what I'll do. What seed will I sow? I know what seed I'm going to sow. Maybe, maybe you've got the answer to that. How can I use who I am and what I have for the benefit of others? I, I know the answer to that now. Maybe this invitation time isn't about coming forward. Maybe you need to come to the altar and pray. That's great. It'll be open. But maybe it's about you just taking a silent moment where you are to saying, God, from day one, I commit myself to you. I will use who I am and what I have for your benefit and the benefit of others. I will sow the seed of righteousness. I will sow the fruit of the Spirit into my own life and into the lives of others. I will overcome temptation, not because I'm so smart and so strong-willed, but because Jesus Christ has overcome that temptation in me already. And I've, I've learned to trust Him for forgiveness. Now I need to trust Him for obedience. So help me, Father. Help me to obey. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray. 
Heavenly Father, in this moment right now, I pray that you would move. I pray that you would work in our hearts and in our lives, that we would follow you with our whole heart, that you would overcome the temptation that's in our lives, that you would...